Our scripture text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. Listen for a word from God. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd. I'll regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first son and said, Go and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, I will not. But later changed his mind and went. The father went to the second son and said the same. And this second son said, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for the gift of your word. As we have it opened to us again, I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the message you have for us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. One of our favorite things that Pastor Garrett and I get to do here at Fort Street is meet with couples before they get married. In fact, later today, Pastor Garrett will get to do premarital counseling with a wonderful couple that has joined us for worship today. And this is such a fun uh, part of our job because we get to just connect about being in relationship with each other. And one of the... uh, It's a spoiler alert for those of you going into premarital counseling later, but one of the statistics that we always share that gets a groan of discouragement, and you might have to correct me on the number, Garrett, because I don't remember off the top of my head, something like 76% of conflicts that couples engage in never get resolved. They keep arguing about the same thing through the course of their entire marriage. Is that number right, 76? And this research... um, says, you know, a lot of our foundational differences are really part of our core identity. And so we argue about the same things over and over and over again, and they'll never get solved. With work and with hope, we can manage them, and we can learn how to navigate and respond to one another's core differences. But a lot of the conflicts that we have can't ever just be fixed. 
one of the things that brings up a lot of anxiety and stress in relationships, both in marriages and romantic relationships and in other forms as well, are these six words. I wonder if you can relate to this. What should we have for dinner? I know this is true for us. There is so much decision fatigue and meals just keep coming and coming and coming, right? We have to make these decisions over and over and we have to negotiate with other people and their wants and desires and their differing diets and it is so stressful sometimes. Garrett and I try to do weekly date nights and I'll tell you, with a baby and now a toddler, it's really, really hard. We have to negotiate babysitters and schedules and all of those things. But we have at least tried to do fun takeout on one night of the week. And so we have to ask this question each week, and it causes a lot of anxiety. Where do you want to go? What should we order? What do you want to eat? And I've noticed this phenomenon that happens with us, and maybe with you too, that sometimes we'll make a decision and we'll get something, and then afterward we'll kind of reflect and realize neither of us wanted that thing. And maybe one of us suggested it because we thought the other one would want it, or, you know, we had a good experience there once, so maybe we'll try it again. But then later we realize, oh, we were both in the mood for something else. Why didn't we just say that? Sometimes it is really hard to mean what you say and to say what you mean. Sometimes about small things like what we're going to eat, but sometimes about big things as well. And Jesus speaks to this in our story today about this conversation that is built around this kind of misunderstanding of meaning, of people not necessarily meaning what they say and not saying what they mean either. So in this story, the religious leaders come up to Jesus and they have an intent. They have a meaning, but they don't speak it. Instead, what they say is, Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority and the power to act the way that you're acting? Now, to zoom out a little bit so we know where we are in the story, this happens in the midst of Holy Week. This is in Jerusalem when Jesus has come in on the donkey and people have shouted Hosanna and laid down the palm branches and the crowds have followed him and heard him teach. And then in this text, in this Matthew Gospel, Jesus goes into the temple and he sees some things that are really upsetting. He sees the money changers and people selling animals to folks for large profits and swindling them, and he gets really upset and turns the tables and calls them out. And so these religious leaders are very threatened by what is happening, and they've heard his teaching from long before even this week, and they come to him to try to trap him to try to trick him, to get him to say publicly, I am doing this by the authority of my parent in heaven, God. Because then they think, aha, he has said it in public. Now we have the right to crucify him. That is their intent. But they go about it in this sort of tricky way of asking him where his authority comes from. And so Jesus knows exactly what they are doing, 
And he doesn't try to justify himself or prove himself. And instead, he returns the riddle. And he says, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you can answer this question about John the baptizer, where does John, where did John get the authority? So the religious leaders sort of huddle together and they strategize. They say, okay, now if we say John got his authority from God, then we're, we're going to be making ourselves look bad because we didn't follow John. We didn't go the way of the Jordan and repentance and away from our strict rules in the temple. So we can't say that. Okay, but if we say that John got his authority from humans, then all these followers are going to get really mad and we might end up getting stoned. So the best they can come up with is to say to Jesus, well, we've thought about it and we just don't know. And so Jesus says, okay, well then I cannot tell you by what authority I do these things. This whole exchange was built off of hidden meaning. What the religious leaders were actually thinking was probably something more like, Jesus, we feel threatened by you. Everything you are doing upends what we know of religion and of God and of the way that we have built our lives, and we don't know what to do with that. We feel scared. But that's not what they say. What they say is, how do you get this authority? Ultimately, I think that they are not saying what they actually mean because they already know on some level that they're in the wrong and they're not prepared for their whole world to crumble. So Jesus ends it, this exchange with this short parable about a vineyard owner and his two sons. And he says, he goes to the two sons and says, go and work in the vineyard today. And the first says, no. We don't know if he gives any other explanation. Maybe he can't, maybe he won't, maybe he doesn't want to. But then ends up changing his mind and going. And then the second says, yes, dad, I will definitely, definitely go and then doesn't. And they rightly say, well, the first one, the one that changed his mind, is the one who's in the graces of his father. And Jesus reminds them, this then is your role. Even the sinners of the day, these tax collectors, these prostitutes, have seen the way and changed direction. But you see it, and you stay the same. This whole exchange is built on missed meaning. Sometimes we don't say what we really mean. Last year, a study was published that said that the average American lies four times a day. How many of you think you're over that number? <laughs> Way to be bold. Yeah. <laughs> I... I you know, and they, they nuanced. A lot of this are some of the socially acceptable lies, um, you know, of wanting to be polite. Yes, you look lovely in that. Um, some of them are a little less benign, like when we admit, or when we say that we know about some political situation or leader or something and we really don't. But some are much bigger lies. 
I have shared with you before that one year for Lent, I decided to give up lying, which always makes me sound like a terrible person, but the average American lies four times a day, so come on, I'm in good company. And what I, I felt compelled to give up lying because I noticed just these strange times that I felt tempted to stretch the truth in some way. And that Lent was a really restorative, eye-opening time for me to recognize that most of the time when I lie, it's because I feel self-conscious about something in myself. Because I want to appear more knowledgeable or more productive or something. And so I encourage you to think about the times and the places where you maybe stretch the truth a little bit too. Many of us are not intentional about what we say to protect others or to protect ourselves. But also sometimes I think we say things we don't mean and we don't express our true meaning for more malicious reasons. Sometimes we want angle to get at a certain outcome. Sometimes we don't want to ruffle feathers and we just want to keep the peace. Sometimes we're not even sure what we actually mean because we're only concerned about the others around us and we've lost ourselves somewhere in the process. And I want to note it's a different thing to not tell a lie and to express what you really mean. You can avoid lying and still say a lot of things that aren't actually full of your truth and your meaning. This story challenges me to recognize the kind of community that Jesus wants to build. Jesus wants to build the kind of community where we speak the truth in love, as Paul says in Ephesians, where we say the really hard things, even when it hurts people's feelings, even when it makes certain people or groups mad, even when it's hard for ourselves to admit. Think with me of some of the really hard things that Jesus said. Peter, you will deny me three times. I still love you. You are the rock on which the church will be built, but you will deny me, and that is going to hurt. Jesus, before going to the cross, said an honest prayer to God, God, take this cup from me. Don't let me die. That is hard. Jesus said to those gathered around him at another time, be careful if you have resources and wealth. It is really hard to keep God a priority if you are rich. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for you to enter heaven. That is hard. Jesus did not gain followers and go through life and create a movement that changed the world because he wanted to protect people and make them feel good all the time or spread happiness and joy. It comes from truth and love together. What would it be like in the world if we could not tell lies? 
What would it be like if not only not telling lies, we could only speak our true meaning? I think it would hurt on the outside quite a lot. But I think we might get to a place of community that really reflects the kingdom of God. We are called to have truthful, loving relationships with ourselves, with our God, with our family, with our coworkers, with our church community. And my encouragement for us this morning is in particular to remember that a church community like this is a covenant community, one where we promise to be together in good times and in bad, sort of like wedding vows. We say to each other when we celebrate baptism, when we accept new members, when we ordain pastors, we are going to journey through life together. And that means that this can be a safe place to say hard things in love. I know this is hard for us at Fort Street, and I can tell you because from behind the scenes, I've heard many people say things like, ooh, I wanted to say this thing at that committee meeting, but I knew she was going to get so mad at me, so I didn't say it. And Garrett and I will have three or four people say the same thing like that, and we'll say, oh, we should share this all together because then we could really make progress and go somewhere. It is hard to speak truth. Sometimes we feel like we have to walk on the eggshells. But my encouragement, especially in covenant communities like this, is that maybe this is the time and the place to step on the eggs and let them break so we can mix them together and bake something out of them. This is a safe place where we can clean up the messes of hard conversations and love one another through it. I just want to end with a brief story of how I saw this so well in this Fort Street family two months ago in our session meeting. We have a wonderful um, board of elders, and we uh, were having our regular monthly session meeting. And we came to this decision that we had to make, and there seemed to be a pretty great consensus for going one way in this decision. And then one of our members said, I really love the intent behind what you all are saying, but I think I have a different idea, and I'm not even sure if I believe it yet, but I'd like to speak it so that we could really discuss this. And she brought up her opinion and said, it's very different from the consensus you all were going for, but let's talk about it. So the session did, and they changed their minds. They discerned together. They said, yeah, you're right. We were going in a certain direction, but we appreciate your perspective, and I think we want to go this way now. And it was beautiful. Business leaders and relationship experts have both recently cited the same trait as predicting great success in both employees and happy relationships. And that trait is the willingness to change your mind. In both an employee and in a partner, what seems to create lasting, meaningful connection is the ability to change your mind. That can only happen when we speak truth in love, when we share our meaning with one another. This covenant community is a great 
place to try that out. So my homework for you this week, you have two pieces of homework. The first is to notice the places where you feel tempted to lie or to not speak your true meaning and wonder about that. Why am I hesitant here? What am I protecting? And then second, see if you can find something to change your mind about. Maybe it means trying a food that you think you hate, that you've hated for decades and maybe haven't even tried for many, many years. Maybe it means reading the news from a very different type of news source than you're used to. Maybe it means having a conversation with a friend that you know has a different idea or opinion about something and asking to just hear about it without offering your own feedback. Maybe you won't be convinced to change a direction like the session was a couple of months ago, but maybe it might make you more aware of the places where you're not having to protect but that you can be in community. Find the places to share your meaning and change your mind. When we do that, I think we reflect God's kingdom in a beautiful, beautiful way. Would you pray with me? Holy God, help us to mean what we say and to say what we mean. Lord, it can feel risky to damage relationships or be left out alone, but we know that you are always with us. On this World Communion Sunday, we're reminded that we are in covenant community with people across time and space and border, and we ask that you allow us to sit in that community and know that we are never alone. Bless us as we continue to worship you. In the name of Christ, amen.